Okay, so, um, so like I said, we, we've learned so far about Peter healing the lame beggar at the temple. We've learned about Stephen, who is filled with the Holy Spirit. Last week, we learned about Peter's escape from prison and how the power of prayer um, is, is really real and really powerful, and what an awesome thing that is. Now, this week, I have the, the opportunity. I don't, I don't know how I drew this straw, but I feel like I got the coolest week out of all of them. Sorry, guys. Um, I get to um, kind of introduce to you guys the, the rock star of this whole New Testament, um, and the rock star of this whole summer is the Apostle Paul. Um, we're going to be hearing f- uh, stories about him coming up in the next few weeks. And uh, man, he was an amazing, amazing guy. He, he was really one of the most single effective evangelists in the history of our, our entire faith. He's a man who extended God's kingdom all across the known world in his time. And Paul, while he was working through the power of the Holy Spirit, he led thousands upon thousands of people to an interactive and real relationship with Jesus. He's also credited with um, writing 13 of, of the 27 books of the New Testament. And he was also handpicked by Jesus himself to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And man, he did it. He, he opened the gates to all of us to this saving faith in Jesus Christ. And, it, and it's really awesome. We're going to see just how he began to do that. And we also, we know that Paul really wouldn't have been Paul if he hadn't encountered Jesus on, on this road to Damascus. And before his name was Paul, his name was Saul. And he was a totally different dude. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about Saul of Tarsus, his history and his his radical conversion to um, an interactive and real faith in Jesus. So there's kind of the quick Cliff Notes version of what's happening today. Um, I'll give you guys a little background on Saul, how he grew up. Uh, He was a Pharisee. He grew up a Pharisee. Does anybody know what a Pharisee is? Yeah, they were leaders. They, they were leaders in the church. Um, really, they're primarily known to be um, to have been kind of a dom- denomination of the Jewish faith who who took the religious law very seriously, the Mosaic law or the laws of Moses. They took it very very seriously and were very devout in following that law. When they were kids, usually, typically before the age of like ten to twelve, they would have memorized the entire Torah. Um, which are five books in the Old Testament. Does anybody know which five they are? Kids only, kids only this time. <laughs> kids, I said. Okay, they are Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They memorized them beginning to end, word for word. Um, and, and man, it's pretty amazing because... We kids and a lot of us adults probably weren't really sure what, even what those, the names of those books were. Pretty incredible. Uh, he likely grew up in church every day. Um, if you read his, his, uh, his testaments to who he was um, in the epistles. And when he grew up, uh, he became a zealot um, or, or somebody who um, was really passionate about what he believed in. He was really passionate about his his faith in God, 
And he cared so deeply um, for his religion that, that he was, was living out. And when people are overzealous, uh, they, they tend to do some pretty extreme stuff in the name of whatever it is that they believe in or are so passionate about. Um, Saul, depending on, on your source, to put him kind of in place with, with Jesus' life, he, he's, some, some historians believe he was about the same age as Jesus, or, or, and others believe that he kind of ranges down to being maybe 10 years younger than Jesus. So what that means for our story today is that Saul was likely somewhere in his 20s or so uh, when Jesus began um, his ministry, uh, when he began to do miracles and, and his popularity grew. He would have, he would have seen um, Jesus' execution and would have, would have likely been on the wrong side. Well, we know he would have been on the wrong side of it. He would have been all for it. And he, w- he would have been angry when he heard about Jesus' resurrection, and he would have been refusing to believe that. And all of these things, you know, his, his devotion to the Jewish religion, his strict obedience to the law of Moses or the Mosaic law, and his deep passion or his zeal, it all led him to do some pretty ugly stuff um, to the Christian church of his time. He was going around and he was arresting Christians he was beating them up. Uh, he was sending them to Jerusalem to be tried um, by the high priest to be executed. And he wasn't the only one who was doing this, but he was one of the best at it. Um, and he gained a rec- reputation among Christians as, as being a really ruthless guy, and they were, they were afraid of him. To come across Paul, or excuse me, Saul, to come across Saul would be... Um, a very bad thing for people who believed in Jesus in his time. And, you know, all this time he believed that what he was doing was right. He believed that what he was doing was just because he believed that people who were teaching about Jesus were teaching blasphemy. Or in other words, they were teaching lies about God and lies about his religion. And he thought that he was on on a crusade that was just Now, I'd like to go ahead and read to you guys from the book of Acts in chapter, chapter 26. And uh, this is kind of long after Saul had, had met Jesus and changed his life and started to follow him, and, and the church grew, and he actually himself was arrested for, for proclaiming the, the truth of the gospel about Jesus. And he was on trial in front of King Herod Agrippa, And uh, this is what he says about himself before he met Jesus. He said, oh, chapter 26, verses 4 through 11. As the Jewish leaders are well aware, I was given a thorough Jewish training from my earliest childhood among my own people and in Jerusalem. If they would admit it, they know that I have been a member of the Pharisees, the strictest sect of our religion. Now I'm on trial because of my hope in the fulfillment of God's promise made to our ancestors. In fact, that is why the 12 tribes of Israel zealously worship God night and day, and they share the same hope that I have. Yet, your majesty, they accuse me for having this hope. Why does it seem incredible to any of you that God can raise the dead? I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could do to oppose the very name of Jesus the Nazarene. 
Indeed, I did just that in Jerusalem, authorized by the leading priests. I caused many believers there to be sent to prison, and I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities. And so we'll stop there, and we'll recount. So we know that Saul of Tarsus, he loved God, but he hated Christians. He searched them out, and he had them arrested. He voted to have them executed whenever he had the chance. And then he decided to take this crusade of his outside of Jerusalem, and he was on his way to Damascus. And we'll, we'll jump back in in verse 12, from verse 12 to 18. It says, One day I was on such a mission to Damascus, armed with the authority and commission of the leading priest. About noon, your majesty, I was on the road. A light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shone down on me and my companions. We all fell down, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's useless for you to fight against my will. Who are you, Lord, I asked. And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get to your feet, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. Tell people that you have seen me and tell them what I will show you in the future. And I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. Now, from there, Jesus left Saul and Saul was blind, like, like you guys, on the side of the road. And the men that, who, that were with him, they had to lead him by the hand to, to go down the rest of the road to Damascus, where he would wait for three days blind and alone. And, and, and that's where we got to kind of run the, the to be continued across the credits, because next week is the story of his experience when he was in Damascus. So we'll just draw from what we've learned so far. You know that Paul is the only person that Jesus would come to physically after he ascended into heaven? That's really a huge deal, right? It's pretty amazing. And we know what Jesus said to him. He told Saul to tell people about their meeting, to tell Jews and Gentiles about the gospel, to open the gates of heaven to all people, to bring the church really to you and me, to all of us. And we also know that over the course of the rest of his life, Paul accomplished way more for the kingdom of heaven than he possibly could have on his own power, right? He was able to do this because he had God's power working within him to accomplish what he never could on his own. We know what that is here at Whitestone, right? That's God's grace. He had God's grace working within him to accomplish way more than he could ever on his own. So now I was tasked to kind of draw from this story. And man, this is such a huge story. Um, but I got three points, and I have one minute to get through all of them. Um, so here we go. Um, this, is, this is one that, that I feel is so core and so important to, to this story. Um, and it's that an encounter with Jesus will change your life forever. Amen? 
You know, every one of us has a moment in our life where the reality of Jesus really sets into our mind, sets into our heart, and we choose to follow him. You know, I know some of our stories aren't quite as dramatic as Paul's, um, but they all bear the same result, a renewed soul that's filled with the Holy Spirit and equipped to live out and extend God's kingdom here on earth. And if you're here today, and, and this is kind of the first time you're hearing something like this, I want to just stop and speak right to you. Um, and, and you need to know this, and you need to listen. Uh, in, in the beginning, before this earth was created, God existed, and he created the heavens and the earth, and he created the land and the sea and day and night, and he created the, the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the plants and the animals on the earth. And then after that, he created his prized possession, man and woman. And he told them that they could live on this earth and do whatever they want as long as they didn't eat from this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of of good and evil. And Satan came and they were tempted. And they ate the fruit from that tree. And at that point, sin entered the world, death entered the world, pain, disease, Anything that's separate from God entered the world, and we also, mankind, were separated from God. And generation after generation, and millennia after millennia, um, man proved that we couldn't overcome that temptation and that sin. And God had compassion on us. And so he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to become fully man and to live a perfect life and to be wrongfully put to death and buried in a tomb. And three days later, he rose from the dead and he was the once and for all sacrifice for each and every one of you, for each and every one of us. He purchased our sin. He purchased all of our condemnation. Every wrong that we ever did was paid for on the cross of Jesus Christ. And this act of his allows all who believe in Jesus to become God's children and therefore heirs to the greatest treasure of all, and, and that's eternity in heaven in the presence of God with him. And man, what a life changer. What a life changer. Now, I'd like to go on further and say that, that this belief in Jesus is not just a mental ascent theology type thing where, okay, I, I believe it's true, I believe it happened, so therefore I now am, am in, in the club or through the gates. Um, we know that belief is to live and to act as if something is true, amen? And we know that this, this inheritance of heaven really is just as much about making Jesus our Lord as it is about understanding the depth and, and the, the amazing truth about what Jesus did for us. Kind of leads me to my next point, that God's mercy and grace should lead us all to repentance. Now Saul, he was a man of principle, right? And, and also of conviction. And when he was confronted with the truth of Jesus Christ, it immediately changed his life forever. And his change wasn't one that, that he kept to himself. Rather, he took it to the ends of, of the earth, you know, because he desired that 
everyone would have that same radical redemption that he experienced on that road to Damascus. You know, in a sense, Saul was kind of on the wrong team. You know, he, he knew full well um, what God did to people who were on the wrong team in the Old Testament because he knew the Torah. All who opposed God were crushed. But God had mercy on Saul. He sent Jesus to him so that he could be redeemed and renewed and reborn. From that moment on, Saul was on team Jesus. Jesus had purchased his debt, as ugly as it was, and he's done the same for every single one of us. The same for me, the same for you. And that really should change our lives forever. It changed Paul's life. From that moment on, and he dug in and he pressed forward and he put all of his effort into serving God and to making an impact in the world around him. He built God's church. He carried the most powerful message to all of the earth. It's like his eyes were opened figuratively because he was blind, um, blinded by his experience. But really the same goes for us. If we really are going to be affected by this gospel of Jesus Christ, then we had better be affecting those around us for the good. And you know, you guys need to know that we realize in this story that God's going to use even the most unlikely people to serve him in the most mighty of ways. It's, it, it's, it's kind of different because this whole sermon, or sermon series is about God using ordinary people, but we know that Saul wasn't ordinary. I mean, he was really pretty extraordinary. He was extraordinarily against God and extraordinarily determined to, to squash anyone who talked or told about Jesus. In other words, Saul's sin, you guys, was really great. But the love and the compassion of Jesus was so much greater than his sin. And if you're here today and you feel like your sin's too great and you can't seem to overcome it, you've got to know something. God, God hates your sin, but he loves you so much more than you could ever imagine. Whatever guilt you feel or shame that you carry needs to be let go because Jesus, the king above all kings, he paid for that sin and set you free of it. And you need to let go and be freed because those chains are gone. You no longer have to be a slave to that sin. And if you're here today and you're saying, yeah, Kirk, I know, but my, my past is way too ugly for God to, to choose me for anything great. Here's what I got to say to you. This dude was out hunting, arresting, torturing, and executing people. And God, God called him, and he sent Jesus directly to him. You know, you guys need to know that the sin of your past is never, ever, ever going to outweigh the God-honoring potential that you have built within you. If we've sinned greatly in our past, I, I would argue that we've been redeemed all the more, and that should propel us like, like a slingshot into a life of, of servitude and just absolute awe of the amazing mercy that God chose to have on, on each and every one of us. And, and 
we need to desire for other people to see and know and understand that same supernatural transformation that we've experienced because that's the will of God. Now, I'd also say that God calls all of us to do great things for his kingdom. If we've accepted the truth about Jesus and we've committed to follow him, then we have been adopted into his family. We've been given a seat at at the table, if you will. We're all on team Jesus. Amen? Amen. And and so what does that look like for all of us to do great things for God's kingdom? I I don't really know uh, because... I don't believe that we've seen it yet here at Whitestone. Um, if every single Christian in this church family were living a life that's sold out for the purpose of God's kingdom, we would experience one of the great revivals of our time. Uh, but we're just not. And I know in my heart that I'm, I'm not living this out as well as I could. And that's really hard to swallow as a pastor of this church, as someone who's called to lead you guys. But... I pray for God's grace to step in where I fall short. And I hope to look more like Jesus. And I persevere towards that goal. So anyways, it's kind of a a grand statement, right, to to do great things for God's kingdom. Like, what does that really mean? Um, You know, it means a lot of things, really. But what one thing that it means here at Whitestone, that, that the leadership has identified as our purpose, as our mission, um, is to make disciples who understand, who live and extend God's kingdom. Now, it's important to know, you guys, that that mission isn't for the church leadership. It's not Luke and the other pastors making disciples out of you guys. I mean, it is that, but it's not only that. It's you guys growing through this process and being able to teach and being able to, to make disciples who understand, who live out and, and extend the kingdom of God. I mean, that's really what Paul did. He traveled all over. He shared the gospel. He taught people how to live lives that honored God and how to affect the people around them with love and action. And then he identified who he could count on. He taught them how to pursue Christ, how to live a, live a life that honors God, and taught them how to teach others. And then that process was repeated after that. And, you know, this is how the good news was able to spread like fire all over. And the church, it rose up, and the church changed the world. And then Paul, he continued to mentor those people who who he had commissioned for for, for God's church. And part of that mentorship is revealed in the letters to the churches and the epistles that that Paul's credited with writing, that, that are books of our Bible now. So we're almost done here. I want to do one quick, quick uh, exercise with you guys. Is there anyone here who has a cell phone? Hey, we have lots of people. Okay, who has it right nearby? They can grab the calculator for me and do some math. Hey, front row. All right. So ushers, have you taken attendance yet? Have you counted? How many people are in this room? One 
179? 179 people. Could you do 179 times three? 537. Okay, so now every person in this room has been called to a life of action in Jesus Christ and has been called to be affected and to affect the people around them for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's take that number um, of the people in this room and say each one of you take three people that you know, um, your friends at school, a neighbor down the street, somebody you work with, somebody who you know, who knows Jesus and would be willing to pursue him with everything and would be willing to learn into this, this ability to, to make disciples and to disciple people. And, and you, you invested in them and taught them for six months. You still got your calculator ready? 537 we're at, right? Okay, do 537 times three. So 1,611, after six months, if you, if you were to tell those people who you were mentoring to go ahead and mentor three more people, that would be, I'm sorry, 1,100? 1,611 people. So now then duplicate that process again in six months. Those 1,611 people find three people. How many? 4,833. So just on the, the investment that each of you have made in one year in three people, God's kingdom could grow from, what was that, 179? 179 to what? Five? Nope. 4,833 people who are sold out followers of Jesus Christ. I know that's not a perfect scenario, or that is a perfect scenario, and the, the result, the fruit wouldn't be perfect, but what an amazing amount of fruit that is. We are the body of Christ, and we're called to make change like that in our, in our area, in our lives, with the people who we know. Um, could you guys please stand? Let's uh, pray together. God, Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much for the story of, of Saul. God, I thank you for, for the man that he was because we know that the man that he was and used to be before he knew you made the man who he became after he knew you. God, we thank you for the, the amazing story of his that's all a part of your story. And God, we thank you for, for every heart in this room. God, I thank you for every person here Lord, I pray that you would allow them to see their value, that you would allow them to see the, the amazing reality that, that they are empowered by you, by your Holy Spirit, to change the world around them. God, I pray that you just would continue to encourage us, that, that you would continue to draw us to you, that we would seek you with everything. God, that we would be seen as, as men and women and boys and girls who who do your will, who seek your will, who, who love you, because we know you love us so much. God, I pray that you would use us, that we would be your body, every part unique to impact this Lake Country area and beyond. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks, I love you guys. Have a great week. Thanks for sticking around late.